God has given us the wisdom of his word so that we can know how to order our lives, how we can make decisions. And um, from a biblical perspective, it is a Proverbs-driven life that we ought to be seeking. Because God has given us a specific book of Proverbs uh, dedicated to instruction in wisdom. And so we cannot have any excuse for making right decisions because God has given us the wisdom to do so. Alright, so let's go back to chapter 16. Verse 3. Commit your what to the Lord? And what does that what does that translate into? Plans, right? Any plans that we have, we are to commit them to the Lord. We cannot complain and gripe if we make some plans and things go wrong. Uh, the world calls it Murphy's Law. Whatever could go wrong, will go wrong. But that's not necessarily the case when we commit our works to the Lord. When we commit it to the Lord, it's in God's hands. And if it's God's will, He will ensure that it succeeds. And so committing our plans to the Lord is the best way to make sure that your dreams and goals will be accomplished. That they will become a reality. Um, J. Allen Blair gives some advice along those lines. He says, occasionally, we find ourselves disturbed and, and depressed, even trying to do the Lord's work. Could anything be further from what God desires? God cannot work through anxious hearts. Whenever a Christian reaches this state, he should stop at once and ask himself, whose work is it? If it's God's work, Never forget the burden of it is his too. You are not the important person. Christ is. His work, he is at work through us. What, what, what we should do then when things go wrong or not go well. What should we do then when things go wrong or not go well? Go to him, he says. Anything less is disobedience. End of quote. That's some good advice. You know, a lot of people are frustrated in the Lord's work because things are not going the way they planned it. The missing equation is that they have not committed it to the Lord. People have the impression is because it's the Lord's work, I can just go ahead and do it. But even if it's the Lord's work, we need to commit His work to Him. Remember when He talked about the, the, the harvest? He says, the harvest is plenteous, but the workers are few. Now, that's God's work. But what's the advice that he, does he give us? Pray to who? The Lord of the harvest. It's God's work. But not because it's God's work, we, know, we ought not go to God and ask Him to bless the plans that we're making. And that's how come many people fail. He says, any work that we do, we ought to commit it to the Lord. Whatever we do, we commit it to the Lord and not become disturbed and depressed because your plans didn't work out the way you planned it, when actually you didn't ask God to bless it in the first place. Okay? 
So let's think about that as we make our plans. So often we get caught up in planning that we forget that God can make those plans become a reality. Those dreams and those goals can be accomplished only when they're committed to the Lord. And then he, uh, the same person, uh, Alan J. Blair, uses a prayer here. No, this prayer comes from the daily, daily notes. And here's the prayer. Give me the eye which sees God in all, and the hand which can serve him in all, and the heart which can bless him in all. That's a good prayer. And so, failing to commit whatever we do to the Lord can happen in many ways. Here are some of the ways. Some people only outwardly commit their work by saying that the project being done, the project is being done for the Lord when they are in reality doing it for themselves. Okay, that's one way that our plans can fail. Uh, they're doing it, they say they're doing it for the Lord, but they're doing it for self-praise or recommendation of men. For other people to look at him and say, boy, is she good, eh? Or he good, eh? So it's not really for the Lord. That's one way. The other way our plans can fail is some only give God temporary control of their interests, then take the control back as, as soon as things stop going the way they expect them to go. Okay, so they give God the control, and in the back of their minds, they already have how they want things to turn out. And they commit it to the Lord, but God don't work it out the way they have it committed in their minds. Until they decide, you know what, Lord? Never mind. That's okay. I'll take care of it. Forget it. Now, when do we do that? When do we say things like that? When we ask someone for advice or we ask them for help, and the help or the advice that they're giving us is not what we expected. What we say to them is, forget it. Don't we? Forget it. Never mind. That's what we do. And so some people do that when they plan. And their plans don't go according to the way they want it. They take the control back from God. That's okay, God. Never mind. Appreciate what you've done so far. I'll take it from here. The other way uh, is other people fully commit a task to the Lord, but make no personal effort. And then they wonder why they fail to succeed. In other words, people make plans, they commit the whole thing to the Lord, but they don't do anything on their part. Okay, someone once said, plan as if it's totally dependent on God and do everything else as if it totally depended on you. In other words, don't sit back and say, okay, Lord, handle it. God expects us to do our part too. And then he'll do his part. And so a delicate balance is what must be maintained at all times. It's got to be that balance. God doing his part, we doing our part. Trusting God as if everything depended on him, while working as if everything depended on us. Think of a particular endeavor. Think of something that you're involved in right now. Have you committed it to the Lord? That's the question that you need to ask yourself. Whatever it is you're involved in right now, you're expecting some things to happen. Because you made some plans and you expected things to turn out the way you planned it. The question is, have you committed those plans to the Lord? 
now is a good time to commit them if you haven't done so already. Rather than gripe, complain, and blame God when those plans that you made without God fail. And so that's another piece of good advice uh, for common sense living. Verse 4. The Lord has made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Okay, here's another verse that um, people look at and they interpret the wrong way. Since the Bible does not teach a, do a doctrine of reprobation, anyone know about doctrine like that in the Bible? God doesn't teach a doctrine of reprobation. This verse does not imply that God has created certain people for damnation. Now it may sound like that. Notice what it says. God has made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for the day of disaster. And so on the face value, you could really come to the conclusion that this verse is saying God created some people to, to, to really put a whole good piece of beating on them. No. People are not damned by God's decree. People are damned because of their own deliberate choice. Remember, God gave everybody a choice. Every single person on earth has the same choice or choices. Okay, they can either follow God or they can follow that other fellow. Okay, now those are the two choices. Okay, now the ones who, who choose to follow the other fellow, they have a destination. Is that is determined by their choice, not by God. The destination that they chose is determined by the choice that they make. God only determines the place where those who oppose him go. He doesn't determine who's going to go there. Okay? He decides, here's the choice. And so what this proverb actually means is that God has an end. God has an object, objective. God has a purpose for everything. Now remember, we, we read that somewhere when we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Remember that? There's a reason, there's a time for everything under the sun. And then he gives us a list. A time to be born, a time to die, a time for laughter, a time for joy. Remember that? Well, that, that's the passage that tells us that God has a purpose for everything that he created under the sun. Everything that he created, he has a purpose for. Uh, there's a passage in, um, a verse in uh, Genesis that says he created not anything in vain. In other words, every single thing that God created has a purpose. So you can't look at anything that God has created and look at it and say, boy, that's good for nothing. You can't even tell people that. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We look at a person because of how reckless their lives, lives have been and the decisions they make, boy, they say, boy, you're good for nothing. No. Every single, if God created them, they're good for something. Everything that God has created is good for something. He created a purpose for everything. And so uh, there's a result for every cause, a reward or punishment for every act. And that's one we need to remember these days is with all this crime that's going on. Uh, the criminals, we need to pray that the criminals be reminded that there's a reward or a punishment for every act. Because sometimes people go and they commit these acts and they don't even think about the punishment or the penalty that is going to come as a result of the acts that they commit. And so that's one thing we can, we can pray for the government, we can pray for the police, but also pray that the criminals will have some common sense to realize that there's a consequence for the actions that I'm going to take. 
If that person look at me the wrong way or disrespect me, whatever response that I make, if it's not positive, it's going to reverberate. It's going to come back on me. I'm going to suffer the consequence of whatever I allow my anger, out of control attitude and behavior to cause me to do. And so there's a reward or punishment for every act. God has ordained a day of trouble for evil, for the wicked, just as he's prepared heaven for those who love him. And so that's something else we need to be mindful of. So here's the application then that we can, we can look at in fact verse 4. God uses even the activities of wicked people for his own good purposes. And we see that in Genesis chapter 50. God is infinite and we are finite. There's a difference between the two. No matter how great our intellects are, we will never be able to understand God completely. Never. You can study the Bible for 100 years and still not be able to understand God completely. But we can accept by faith that he is a couple of things. He's all-powerful, he's all-loving, and he's perfectly good. We can believe that he is not the cause of evil. And James tells us that. Um, James tells us that evil doesn't come from God. God doesn't have anything to do with it. And we can also trust that there are, no, there are no loose ends in God's system of judgment. In other words, the law, every country that has laws, those laws have loopholes in them. And lawyers look for loopholes to try to get their clients off. Don't they? We hear about it all the time, right? Well, there's no loopholes in God's system of judgment. Don't look for them. There isn't any. God is perfect. And he makes sure that there's no loose ends. Evil is only a temporary condition in the universe. One day, God will destroy it. Now, I know we look at crime sometimes and evil and wickedness people do and think, boy, this is going to go on forever. No, it's not. God's going to deal with it. One day, God is going to destroy it. He's going to get rid of it. He's going to wipe it out. And so God is perfect in every way. Verse 5. Okay, so we know clearly from the scripture, not only this verse, but from many of the other verses that we've looked at and read and studied, that God really has a problem with pride, right? He has a real serious problem with pride. In fact, that's on one of the list of the seven things that God lists in the Bible that he hates. Pride is one of them on that list. That's right. Human pride is going to absolutely be punished. Now the question is, what is pride? What is pride? It's an internal voice. You may call it a, a still small voice. We ain't God voice. It's an internal voice that whispers, my way is the best way. That's what pride is. It's refusing to accept God's leadership and believing that we live our lives without him. We don't need God. That's what pride is. Pride is controlling you whenever you find yourself wanting to do, do it your way or 
you find yourself looking down on other people. That's pride that's in control. We can only be all God intended for us to be when we choose to eliminate pride in our lives. You can never be what God intended for you to be. As long as you've got a little ounce of pride lurking in your heart, you'll never be able to accomplish God's purpose. God will always have a problem with you. Okay, verse 6. Okay. Unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. Now, the principle of the first part of this verse need to be considered in the light of other passages of Scripture on the same subject. Since salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord alone, it cannot mean, this verse cannot mean that a person is saved by being merciful and truthful. Okay, so you cannot take this verse at face value. You need to take it in the consideration of the other, con the whole context of the Word of God. Okay, if you take it on face value, then you'll you'll come to the conclusion that uh, love and faithfulness is all that is needed to atone for sin. That's not what it's saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. All right. So uh, this is how people uh, come up with wrong doctrines or false doctrines. They take one verse of Scripture alone, out of context, forget about all the other verses around it. And they come up with a doctrine that is totally contrary to the Word of God. Okay, this is how false teachings come about. Alright, so you can't take this verse uh, at face value, you take it alone. It needs to be considered in the context of other passages of Scripture. Only to the degree that mercy and truth are the signs of saving faith can they be said to cleanse iniquity. Only from that perspective. Now the second part of the proverb uh, can be taken at face value just as it is in the scripture because it's clear people do escape misfortune and calamity by trusting the Lord that is an absolute fact you can take that for face value when you trust the Lord you will escape the wrath of God the Bible teaches that over and over verse 7 What that sound today? Ever experienced that? People who hate you cannot help themselves in how they treat you because your life is pleasing to the Lord. And that's a fact. Even though this is a general rule like many of the Proverbs that we have read and that we will see as we go on, there are some exceptions. Opposition is disarmed by a righteous life. Whenever you live a righteous life, you throw a monkey wrench in the plans of your enemies. They can't do nothing with you. Because whatever you do, it pleases the Lord and God's got your back. God is on your side. God's got you covered. Um, Abraham Lincoln uh, was treated with contempt. Out of contempt by a man named Stanton. And Stanton called him a, a low cunning clown. He also called him the original gorilla. In fact, he said, he said there was no need to go to Africa to capture gorillas when you, when there was one available in Springfield, Illinois, referring to Abraham Lincoln. That's how cool this man was toward Lincoln. 
But, as the story goes, Lincoln never responded with any kind of retaliation. Okay? Lincoln was not like some Bahamians we know who say, tit for tat, butter for pot, kill my dog, I'll kill your cat. Lincoln wasn't like that. Okay, he never retaliated, never responded with any kind of retaliation. What he did was, instead, was unbelievable to, to many people when they found out. He appointed Stanton as his minister of war. He put him in his cabinet. He made him one of his ministers. Because he believed that he was the best qualified person for the job. Now, he could have retaliated. He could have said, because you don't like me, because you call them funny names, you call me, because you hate me. Even though you're qualified, I'm going to get somebody else. He could have done that. You know people are doing that today? People are doing that right now in government agencies and government corporations, and even private ones, people are doing that. Even though they know that somebody is qualified for the job, because that person did something to them, their retaliation is not to give them the job. But it's happening the, all the time. But in the end, the person will get the job. They'll eventually get it in the end. And that part, the other person who swatted a lot of egg on their faces. Now, when Lincoln was killed, the story goes on. When Lincoln was killed by assassin's bullet, many, many years later, Stanton looked down at the rugged face and with tears in his eyes, he said, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Goes right back to the verse. When people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. That's a fact. And so we need to be careful. We need to be cautious about retaliation. You know, every fiber in our body cries out for retaliation when somebody does something wrong. And it even gets more juicy and tempting when we find ourselves in a position where we could do some help, when we could help that person. And the devil comes, the angel on one shoulder saying, do right. The devil on the other shoulder saying, no, get him back. Get him back. Remember what he do to you? Get him back. Now is the time to get him back. Okay, so we always have that opportunity. And so the application in verse 7 is this. We'll do almost anything to win people's approval. Because we want people to like us, right? Is there anybody here who don't want to want to like them? Anyone here who don't want to be liked? We all want to be liked, right? And so we'll do all kinds of things to get people to like us. But God tells us to use our energies to please Him instead. No matter how much doing something for someone will cause them to like you better, do it for God instead. Whatever you do to be peacemakers will usually make us more attractive to those around us. A peacemaker is more, more attractive than a troublemaker. Isn't that so? And so we need to be mindful that we ought to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. And when we retaliate, we are being troublemakers. But we haven't lost anything even if, we, even if it doesn't work out the way we want it, because we are still pleasing the only one that truly matters, and that's God. Okay, so even if we don't get retaliation from the person who did us wrong by the gift, by passing up the opportunity that we have to do it, we still don't lose, because 
God's got us covered. Verse 8. Is that true? Very true. Experience that, right? Having a modest income earned honestly without stealing is better than having vast riches acquired by fraud with a total disregard for justice. And that's happening today. A lot of people are doing that. Uh, verse 9. Okay, here's another reminder, uh, similar to verse 1 of chapter 16. Now notice how God, why, why do we remind people of things? Why do we do that? Hmm? Why do we remind people of things? We want to make sure they get it, right? We want to make sure they don't forget, right? That's what a reminder is. I'm reminding you so that you don't forget. And, uh, and so here's another reminder to us that people go to great lengths in making plans and planning careers and doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, but the Lord determines what happens to those plans. God is the only one who determines how those plans are going to turn out. Okay, we can make all the plans in the world. Remember Saul? Paul, when he was Saul? Saul of Tarsus made some big elaborate plans to persecute Christians. And so he got letters giving him the authority to do that. He had to plan all that stuff. He planned to do that. But he ended up becoming one of them because of the Damascus Road experience. And then there was Onesimus. Remember him? He was a slave that ran away. He made plans to leave Philemon forever, his master. But what did God do? God brought him back. Not only did God brought him back, but God brought him back on better terms than he had when he left. Okay, so see how God works out. We make our plans, but God determines the outcome. And we need to remember that. It's easy to make plans and forget that God has to have an equation in it as well. Verse 10. The king states Okay, now the king here could also represent leaders in government, or governments, presidents, prime ministers, anyone who leads. Uh, the king is representative of the leader as a leader of a nation. Or leader of the land. And so since the king is an agent of God, according to Romans 13, 1, and sometimes they forget that, you know. You know, uh, leaders forget that they are agents of God. They forget that God appointed them. You know, they have an election and, and they get all the votes and they get into power and they think that, you know, it's, it was all just the people. They forget that behind the scenes, God is the one who orchestrates. Romans uh, 13, 1 says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And here's the reason. For there's no power but of God. The powers that are, are ordained are of God. Now that's something we need to remind our MPs about. 
We need to remind the Prime Minister, we need to remind the government. Because it seems that, you know, someone said, um, before they get elected, you could always reach them. After they get elected, you can't find them. They change the number. They got rid of their cell phone. Okay? Happens all the time. We have people complaining about that all the time. Because they forget that they are agents for God. They forgot that God put them where they are for a purpose. And so we need to be praying that they get an understanding that, you know, they are where they are because of who God is. And so God's proclamations and decisions uh, carry authority and finality. Therefore, his mouth must never judge unfairly. That is the king or those in authority. They must never judge unfairly because they are representatives or agents of God in what they do. So you need to pray for this government that they carry out the laws on the books. You know, it doesn't make sense to you that um, a bunch of people who don't live here who do experience nothing that we experience can make decisions that determine how we live our lives? Does that make sense to you? It doesn't make sense. Okay, you know, uh, um, who was minister came over a, a plan the other day. Anyone saw that? The plan for capital punishment that he unveiled is draft. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a whole lot of sense. You've got a, a bunch of people in London who, many of whom, are opposed to capital punishment. That's the stance they take. That's the position they take. They're moving with the European Union on that. Okay, that's the way the world is moving. Okay, they no longer believe in capital punishment because they say it's barbaric. The Bible says... What, does, is what the Bible say barbaric? Is it out of date? Is it archaic? <laughs> I know this is mad. Go ahead. The BBC had a, had a series on capital punishment and where the Lords of London who makes these decisions on the Commonwealth countries. Mm -hmm. um, there's five or ten judges, I, I believe it's ten. Yeah, yeah. And they openly said that they were homosexuals. Yes. And they do not believe in the right of taking the life of another person. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they said forgiveness should be there. Mm -hmm. Now, in that, I'll have to rest my case. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mention the fact that they're all a bunch of sissies. Yes. Um, like we call them, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's a part of it. Okay, that's a part of it. And uh, But the point is, you have a bunch of homosexuals, or sissies as we call them, who are making decisions that determine, that affect your life and mine, with regards to criminals. Okay? Because as it is now, whether you know it or not, the United Kingdom 
into the United Nations are the governor, or should I say the overseer of the Bahamas. The Bahamas in itself in the United Nations is only under the authority of the United Kingdom. Yeah, but there's a Caribbean Court of Appeal. Now, also, if the Bahamas goes any further, then the Bahamas will have to become a sovereign nation, which it is. See, that's not, that's not a problem. <laughs> so you got, you got a lot of Angara Bahamas. Mm -hmm. so well, see, that's the, that's the whole problem because you have a lot of people and our time is gone. We got to stop.